Welcome to the Off The Turf Podcast. Today we talked with fellow countrymen, six times games athlete and all-around top guy, Mr. Khan Porter. We've been lucky enough to have Khan compete on two turf games so far, both in London, and we are hoping we can add to that alley in 2020. Um, on this podcast, we talked to Khan about his training methodology, not only physical but mental preparation, what he's up to now and plans for the future. Welcome, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Thank you for having me uh, back on. And uh, as you said, would have loved to have been there competing uh, this year again, but 2020, huh? Yeah, it's been a year of probably not too many ups, but lots of downs. Um, But just it's going to make 2021 seem doubly as good, I think. Oh, yeah, mate. I think like so many little things that maybe people would take for granted in the past are just going to seem so good. I know down here in Australia, things are starting to open up again. So just being able to go to the pub with your mates, it's like, whoa, this is so awesome being out and about those kind of social situations. Even like being able to go to houses with groups of sort of 10 plus people, it's really, really cool. Yeah, we're we're in week 14 of lockdown over here now. And um, it did. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's been, we flew in back from Dubai after our Dubai event and pretty much a couple of days later it was stay in your house, don't go outside um, unless it's yeah. an hour a day. And it's been, yeah, the first eight or 10 weeks, you couldn't see anybody. Um, it was getting getting pretty tough. But I guess like you, you did touch on it, it, it kind of reset what your, I guess not values, but what you kind of prioritize the most and what actually you do and don't need in your life as such. Like the things which you really like, you obviously wanted to keep doing, but little things that you mm-hmm. thought you, you, you were passionate about, actually, you didn't need them. You kind of just cracked on with... Um, the main things and sort of, you know, a bit more productive, I think, and working on and, and working towards things that actually meant something to you, whether it was family, like spending more time with your family, which I've done with, you know, two kids not being at school um, and and the wife. So it's been interesting. I guess at the end of the 10 weeks before you could see anybody, it was getting, getting a, bit, a bit long seeing the same three people day in, day out. <laughs> in a, in yeah, a, I, the yeah, nicest I possible can imagine way. Like, that full lockdown type thing. Like we've always had a little bit of freedom to be able to move around, not to see people, but to at least kind of like, you know, go about and do certain bits and pieces. But I know we've been extremely fortunate in Australia with how it's all played out. But um, no, you're right. Like I think a lot of time for sort of self-reflection and, you know, like even you said, touching on things like what do you value and what is important to you and, or in, and yeah, reassessing focus afterwards. Like, okay, when the world goes back to normal, like what do I want to be doing then? And like how, you know, if, if you know, it, it, you never know when things are going to shut down like they did again. And if they did, what would you kind of be like, oh, well, would you be stoked with what's happened beforehand? Or would it be like, oh man, like I never know when I'm going to get to do X, Y, Z again. I really wish I had done that more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Seize the day a bit more. And um, yeah, it's probably one of the biggest changes has been how much more money you've had in your bank account. You haven't been going out buying, you know, pub lunches or dinners or coffees and all that stuff, which actually, you realise how quick, quickly it adds up to like hundreds of pounds a month or if not more. Uh, Uber Eats didn't shut down over here, mate. So unfortunately, <laughs> my bank account is no different to what it would be. <laughs> I'm kind of Maybe like... worse because I've been at home to order more Uber Eats, which is uh, never a great thing. No, that's true. I see you've still been getting stuck into your um, craft beers and, and tasting different ones. Yeah. Oh, mate. I 
Absolutely hard. If anything, I've probably been drinking a bit too much during lockdown. It's, do, you know what, do you know what it's taught me more than anything else? And this is kind of something cool to walk away from with it is it's taught me just how much I need uh, routine and purpose. And they're two things that I maybe wouldn't have ever, re- particularly routine or structure, maybe not routine, but structure. And they're sort of two things that I never, I mean, structure particularly, my life sort of has always been a little bit all over the place and not in a negative way, well, in mixed ways, but in like, a, I like to be able to go and do this and do that and do this and do that. But they're all kind of structured. The things that I do is all still kind of structured towards some sort of higher purpose. And that's kind of gone missing. Like in lockdown, I think it was probably around about this time last year. Um, I sort of had some conversations with some people and really looked at, putting my all into being an athlete for the remainder of the time that I have to be a professional athlete. Cause I don't know how much longer that'll be. Um, and that is something that, you know, I'm not going to have the opportunity to do my whole life. And then I really did. Like I put a lot of time into this season and, you know, spent the back half of last year, really dialing in a lot of aspects of my life, training really, really hard, prioritizing that. I took a little bit of time off over summer and then dove back into it. And I was in probably the best shape of my life just before lockdown started. And that was that was my sort of, that was what I was working towards. You know, I was waking up every day with this fire in my belly to be the best athlete that I could possibly be. Because not only would that be something that I could be proud of within myself, but it would open up avenues for me to work on other things that I was passionate about. So things like mental health and um, performance, you know, all that sort of stuff by my being successful as an athlete that would provide me with a platform to kind of do those things and with the time and space to finish my studies and all that as well. And then, you know, I got, I got into this place where I was at the peak I've ever been in terms of an athlete. I had competitions lined up. I think we were even chatting. I had competitions lined up in like Germany and then Egypt. And then I had like another trip planned for another competition overseas and then potentially uh, even the turf games and then another one um, before the games itself, which I'd qualified for early. And then obviously all of that kind of got thrown out the window. And so it's been a bit of a roller coaster in terms of, you know, I've been fine in terms of getting by day to day and everything like that. And my life hasn't dramatically changed in some of the ways that I know it has for lots of other people. But that overarching sense of purpose has definitely kind of been, well, up and down to say the least. Even when they announced that they were going to host the games and before all the recent dramas that have happened kind of in the CrossFit space came out, there was still always a huge if over whether we'd be able to even travel. So it's been, yeah, I've never, I, I think subconsciously maybe I knew that I needed purpose to, to motivate myself day to day, but I don't think I've ever realized how much I need it until this all happened. Yeah, massively. I think, you know, from my experience that, from a training point of view and you, you know, you could kind of see it around social media, like people were just doing aimless, you know, staying fit, but not, no, having no structure and purpose. And I think people after a few weeks that are lost, what am I training actually for? Normally I, there's, you know, there's a holiday, there's a, there's an event, there's a competition I can train for, but there was that element of like that motivation training in your living room or your backyard. It it really, really got quite tough. And, and then personally for me, from a, a business point of view, I'm like, when is the next event I can physically, a physical event I can actually plan with confidence? Mm. Like, you know, it's been a, some weeks it's been like, oh, it'll be back in July, be back in August. And then some weeks I'm like, we're done for 220. And I say, it's been a roller coaster ride. And having, not having that thing to sink your teeth into and work towards, it really makes just day to day a massive struggle of like, of motivation. And, you you know, it affects the people around you if, if you're kind of always down a bit and, um, 
I think we're hopefully both, you know, in Australia, it seems to be getting you know, super positive down there with, with the lockdown. And over here, we are moving in the right direction. And generally, I think the world is is slowly getting there. But there's still an element of, is 220 done? Are we going to start again in 221? But, um, you know, we've adapted. Yeah. You know, you can adapt and do things within the environment. But, you know, Turf Games is... It's, it's a huge but when you're running an events company as well. Like, different That's to the small businesses that can open up with small amounts of customers. But, you know, I, like for the bigger event type things, you know, it is a very tricky landscape to navigate. And like you said, it's the, un- I think that's the other thing, like purpose and stuff has been important, but also uncertainty. Like I didn't realize how triggering for me and for everyone, just uncertainty is like, even if everything is going fantastic, that uncertainty that you never, like you can't really plan more than, a week in advance. Like there was periods as well where the the, regis- the the regulations and stuff were literally changing on a week by week or every three days. Yeah. And then trying to go like, okay, well, this is going to happen next. And what about this is going to happen next? And actually like, you know, even with the games, I almost felt like just pulling the pin completely a while ago. I mean, at this point in time, I pretty much have pulled the pin, but yeah. it's a whole other topic of conversation yeah. we won't go into too much. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but even prior to a lot of that, that sort of stuff, um, like I thought about, I was just like, Do you know what? Just I'm not even going to know if I can go over there and compete until probably the very last minute. I'm so sick of going into the gym and you know reading a workout that I'm supposed to do at X intensity, and then I just it starts to hurt. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah, I did a fantastic job of getting strong and building my aerobic capacity over the lockdown period, but man, my ability to just suffer <laughs> has declined massively just training on my own you know yeah an empty gym with no real goal and no real purpose behind pushing myself i can do it every now and again but definitely not at the level you need to be doing it at to get into competition shape yeah there's there's not too many people in the world i don't think you can literally put themselves in a pain cave day in day out if they're in an empty gym on their own on their own no one to kind of push them or atmosphere and um mm. yeah i'm sure matt fraser probably can but um there's most people most people well, he's got tia to train with so he does, <laughs> yeah. so if you can have someone to push you it's probably those two are the best exactly um so yeah i remember, <clears throat> I remember when we did the uh the, the insta live head to head with you and, and mickey smith i remember that you were sort of saying that around that week it was probably about six seven weeks ago where Mm. A couple of workouts, you just, or it was an AMRAP or something, or you just halfway through it, you know what, I can't do this and just sort of stepped yeah. away. Yeah, I think that was the first workout in about a two-week period I'd actually finished start to finish um, because, yeah, that's it. There was a purpose to it. And you know what? That was actually a really good week. Um, I managed to train with someone else one of the days, do that little competition, and I was like, all right, cool. I still love this when there is a purpose behind it, when I've got that motivation or that vibe around me. But, you know, and and – I do. I still love to train and I still love to push myself. And I've had had a really good week of training last week. Uh, just amongst some other things that have been happening in my personal life, um, that kind of shifted my focus again towards the end of the week. And so, you know, I, I sort of started training again today. And then same thing. I was like, there's just too much in my head at the moment for me to kind of push and too much in my head and not enough kind of clear cut purpose to going crazy. So I just kind of chilled. And I think that I think that's a really overlooked element of being an athlete. And I don't just mean being an athlete if it's your profession. But if you want to do, like you know, training like an athlete or pursuing any kind of athletic endeavor, it's the ability to be able to know that you can sit back from time to time and take your foot off the accelerator and 
everything is not going to go out the window. Like yeah. I, I've been so many periods where I've taken some time off from training really, really hard. And it's really hard getting back into it. That first kind of two weeks sucks because you just can't do what you could do beforehand. It just hurts that little bit more. You get that little bit tight, more tired. But when you do it enough times and you realize that, you know, it only takes sort of four to six weeks before you'll start feeling pretty fit again and then maybe six to eight weeks before you can actually start improving on where you were beforehand, you, you start to kind of look at things a little differently. And I think that that's a, it's a skill to have. Yeah, it's good you sort of mentioned that about like, you know, on our preseason program we've got at the moment, which is a four-week kind of structured dumbbell, kettlebell style of program. Like we have a Facebook group and a lot of, you know, every so often someone sort of ch- like types in there and you know, says they're struggling today. You know, they just, they could, they weren't feeling it. They're a bit tired or just they, they're, they're mentally not in the right space. And it's good to hear that, you know, professional athletes who are in this space as well, like everyone suffers from days where, you know, like just put it in the fucking bucket. I yeah. can't do it today. I'll go again tomorrow. Yeah, there's there's some there's sometimes you might feel okay, but you start doing it, and you know for whatever reason it may, it may be through sleep or nutrition, but you just can't crack on with it, and that noise in your head sometimes as well, whether it's a bad day. Oh yeah, oh. and I think if you if you try to force yourself to do more than you're capable of every single day on it, like if you're trying to, if if you're trying to force yourself to do more than you did the day yesterday every single day when it comes to the moments in your life where you where you have to put in and where you have to push through it sometimes you don't have the energy to do that now you could probably argue either way that it builds resilience if on all your bad days you're still able to go and do it but i actually you know i think that works for a very small percentage of the population i don't think that works for everyone i've spoken about this actually on a couple of podcasts even with like a couple of zoom calls that i did people were sort of talking about oh you know at the moment i'm really struggling with motivation what should i do and i said lower your expectations yeah, And it seems kind of counterintuitive because we're all so primed by various different outlets to like success and always being driven and always being on and no, but no days off and, you know, push through any kind of adversity. But what we don't like, what more people don't understand is that's going to work for a very small percentage of the population who are that way inclined and who actually derive a sense of satisfaction from pushing through that. But a lot of people that's not going to work for. And on top of that, like we only have a finite amount of mental energy on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's, it's like our physical strength. If you push yourself and push yourself and push yourself physically, eventually physically you're not going to be able to. Your body needs a rest and your mind needs a rest as well. So people are going to be going through all sorts of stresses they've never been through given the current climate of the world. Some days it's going to be too much noise to push through. And so, I mean, some days exercise is probably going to be a great way to, to get rid of that noise. But other times the noise might, the exercise might just be making it worse, particularly if you're trying to do something competitive, like, you know, all these online competitions, which are great. But sometimes like that pushing yourself, like that's not going to help the noise. And you need to be able to know when to step back so that then you can bring it when you have to. Yeah, massively. And I think um, we live in this hyper-driven sort of Instagram culture as well that, so, you know, some people, it appears, they're working out eight days a week, 25 hours a day. Um, and you mm. kind of get caught up in this cycle of, I have to be doing that too. And you just have to sort of look at reality and, and take a step back. And there's an element of, yeah, healthy, healthy fitness, healthy competition, and um, your body can only handle so much. Yeah, exactly right, mate. And I think quality over quantity. I mean, such a good... Like I have, through all of this, found a really, really great little routine for myself in terms of how to train and how to sort of split my day up to be able to be getting enough in to, to go to be at a good level, but then not blow myself out. And I can tell you it's considerably less than I have previously thought 
I needed to be doing in a day, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what's been great for the whole functional fitness space is that, you know, when you're at home at the moment, people have been training that you can actually get a really good workout in, in 15, 20 minutes with the kind of the right the right movements, the right tempo. And just, you know, we've had some people doing our body weight um, home games and they played 10 years of rugby and they said they haven't been, they haven't been that sore in like, you know, five years since they retired, you know, just through, you know, increasing some volume, shocking the body, doing things you're not used to doing. Um, and by having a, you know, we have, we have a live leaderboard with the home games. It just pushes that extra like 15 or 20%, which just makes you, you know, makes you kind of go, wow, that, that is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Air squats and push-ups can, can make the body a little bit sore and get a decent workout. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. It's been even you know great for myself doing you know these these workouts at home. You know, we, element of strength, but then obviously people's strength is going to go back exponentially because no one's really had enough weights at home um, to be able to do it. But endurance wise, you can get you can build in great endurance with you know just 15, 20 minutes a day, just working on certain things, and you know. It, you can't you can't work out for nine hours in one day and be super fit. But over a nine nine week nine week period, you work out twenty minutes a day, and you're going to be a lot fitter than what you were nine weeks earlier. And just you've got to yeah. just enjoy that journey and that process, and find out find what what you enjoy doing. But like we discussed previously, you need that purpose and that goal to to train towards. And hopefully, we're not too far away from getting back into it and um, having fun again with our mates. Oh, exactly. Um, so with your, and then again, like how good is that going to feel? Oh yeah, exactly. That's what probably one of the things keeping me going is just knowing that when we are back out there, it's going to be twice as good as what it was beforehand because everyone's going to be just buzzing for it. Yeah, hundred percent. So with your training, like just I guess let's, let's sort of rewind to, to normal times and let's all, all fast forward to when we're out of this and the world's back to normal. Like, yeah, how does how does your training break up? Say between like just normal season so you know maybe a comps you know 12 weeks away you know or how do you break it up pre-comp leading up to a comp and post-comp slash off-season um i think you know this kind of was it's a good segue into that because as i said i've been playing around with a lot of stuff and i like to i like to split my day into two sessions i don't like to spend a long period of time in one go at the gym. It allows me a little bit more flexibility and I can actually train a little bit harder. I find like, I find that, you know, after about 90 minutes, the rest of my session is very average unless it's just lifting or just, but even then, like, like once I'm finished the lifting, I find it very draining. So a kind of an ideal day for me at the moment is I usually do 45 to 60 minutes in the morning. And that's usually skill and low impact conditioning. So like, running, rowing, ski, assault bike, C2 bike, uh, dumbbell, light dumbbells, kettlebells, sandbags, all that kind of grunt work type stuff. And then the skill work is typically, um, you know, some form of gymnastics. And then I do my biggest sessions in the afternoon and that's probably anywhere from 60 to 120 minutes. So like an hour to two hours, usually around that kind of 75 to 90 minute mark. Um, then every now and again, I might throw a third pure endurance piece in the day, or if my afternoon piece is just strength, then I might throw some extra endurance work in there. But again, that'd only usually be 30 to 60 minutes. So I'm not doing more than say like on a really big day, I might do around three hours of training. Um, but then on an average day, it's usually around that kind of, actually on a big day, it could get more, but like, like that, 
two to two and a half hours is a pretty standard day for me or two and a half yeah, hours or so. And I like that. And I like that when it's split up um, because, you know, I do an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. It allows me to kind of work throughout the day. I feel like if I leave it till just the afternoon, which was kind of what I was trying to do before, um, I was thinking about it all day and my mind's not on, you know, what I'm actually supposed to be doing. But at least I know that if I get my morning session done, you know, if something happens and I can't train again, I'm like, well, okay, well, you've done something for today and that's better than nothing. So off you go. Yeah, exactly. And how many days a week do you train normally? Uh, so six days on, uh, five of those days, Oh, so four of those days will be doubles like that. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday are two sessions a day. Yeah. Uh, those two sessions or two to three sessions. Thursday, I typically do one, sometimes two aerobic pieces. So I might go for a run in the morning and a swim in the afternoon, or I might just swim or just run. And then Saturday, I typically just do a morning session. So it's usually like a 90 minute to two hour session in the morning. And then Sunday, complete rest. And then Saturday, straight on the beers with the boys down the surf club. <laughs> Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Saturday, finish training, grab late breakfast or an early lunch, and then rip into a few tinnies. Yeah, nice one. Um, from a recovery point of view, do you have? Does each day you kind of get into some recovery style of, I guess, training, um, or do you have set days for that? No, so I think um, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming a lot more conscious of the importance of warming up and cooling down and then scheduling time for recovery. So one thing that I did find I was able to do really, really well uh, by breaking the day up into more sessions was actually kind of warm up for each part and then attack them without then getting to the point where maybe my body's starting to break down towards the end of the session and it's more of a beat up than it is actually productive to getting fitter and stronger. But then I also, so I try to schedule, you know, uh, for a while I wasn't because of all the kind of lockdown laws, but I like to do um, like manual therapy. So like physio, hands-on physio once a week. I get a massage once a week, try to use the sauna uh, as often as possible. And then also, yeah, like just adequate warming up and cooling down and finding a physio on Cairo that provide you with specific warm-up, cool-down stuff. So I had a really bad back injury. Actually, that kind of started just before turf games i think last year i think i might have even told you when i came over there there's just a little bit of an issue with my back yeah and that was kind of ongoing for the entire rest of the year and it was only the start of this year i went and got that um got a scan and had to find out what it was wrong what was wrong with it so i have two herniated discs and one of them's actually impinging on a nerve and so i was having a lot of grief with that at the start of the year but then was able to get specific exercises to do in warm-up cool down and accessories built around helping that and you know like my back it still flares up every now and again, but it's the strongest it's ever been. So, you know, there's there's a lot to be said from not trying to do like generic, just, oh, I'm just going to kind of warm up here, but actually getting a professional that knows that can, knows and understands your body to give you specific advice on what to do for that. Yeah, definitely. And with, um, I mean, we mentioned it before about some of the workouts, which, you know, recently you, you do and you struggle a bit, like, with that kind of word, I, would, I won't sort of use it. Well, I'll use the word failure, but not, not, not mean failure. But when you, when you are doing a workout, which, which we all do, and you have, a, you have a bad day, do you, are you want the one that gets really angry at yourself and sort of beats beat yourself up? Or are you kind of like, let's learn, let's embrace that, and then let's sort of just go again the next day, the next week? Um, I think I can go both ways. I think to say that I look at every kind of, bad workout or bad day in the gym as a learning experience and I shrug it off and walk out there fine would be would be bullshit (laughs) I certainly sometimes let it get to me typically that's when I've got a lot of other stuff going on and 
maybe in the past then going into the gym and training really hard has made me feel better and then if I don't I'm not able to do that maybe it's a it's a source of frustration and I'll turn that into some negative self-talk but I think I've had enough bad days in the gym just bad days in life in general I guess and I don't mean I've had it tough or anything like that I'm just talking about in my own head to know that that they come and go and they're just a part of the process and so, yeah, like I might get frustrated in the moment and, you know, be annoyed when I leave the gym, but I can always kind of bring myself back around and understand. Or I've gotten a lot better anyway at bringing myself around. And one big thing that I've done in terms of that is if I just if I miss a session, I just miss that session that week. I don't try to make it up. I don't try to add little bits to each other day, each day for the rest of the week. I just like a missed session or a half ass or a session where things don't go to plan it's that's gone. I don't then I don't let it impact the rest of my training. I don't try to, yeah, as I said, make it up or put the pressure on myself to do any extra on any other day. It's one day. And if I move on from that day, then I can approach the next day with a fresh, you know, with a fresh mentality and typically do a lot better in that respect. Then I used to be one of those people that was, Oh man, I've missed this session. So I've got to make sure I squat on this day and oh, I had muscle ups on this day. So I've got to go and do that. And I try to add all the extra stuff that I missed in throughout the rest of the week, or I try to do more the next day. And then what would typically end up happening would be that that was too much volume for that next day. I'd then ruin that day of training, trying to make up for the day before, which would then in turn ruin the next day. And very quickly one bad day, in the gym could go to, you know, a bad week yeah. versus just going, all right, cool. Like today, for example, like I said, I, I certainly did not get through everything I was meant to get through today. Um, that's cool. Like I, you know, I was supposed to snatch and I was supposed to front squat today. All right. No worries. I've I snatched last week. I snatched quite well last week. I squatted, I cleaned really well on the weekend. So my front squat's obviously feeling good. I will front squat next week. I will snatch next week. No worries. Just yeah. let that kind of go. Yeah, it's probably the best, isn't it? Because you can you can beat yourself up too much by missing one one yeah. day, and yeah, trying to make it up, and you leave yourself in a big hole. But you're um yeah. you're big on sort of training and the whole I guess mindset around training. Can you talk us through how you prepare? I guess either for, either for for a big session or even just for for a big competition mentally. Yeah, so I think it's a good little segue, and there's one little thing that I will add to that. It kind of sounds like. I guess it can come across that I'm very kind of relaxed in my approach. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't try hard. It doesn't matter if you don't try hard. I think that it's very important to add there that that's that's like your that's like your five percent of the time. Like that's that five percent of the time or ten percent of the time where you can afford to kind of be a little bit more relaxed in, or when I can afford to be a little bit more relaxed in my approach and in my kind of. Uh, you know, yeah, approach to training or success or outcome and all that sort of stuff, then I will. But that's because then it allows me to go really, really hard for the other 90%. And I'd say that's a huge mindset, let's call it, or mental preparatory thing that I do. Um, it is it is allowing that 10% of grace to then be able to bring it the other 90% of the time. And so that's like that kind of balance, we'll call it balance, is a big factor for me. Um, another one is, like I said before, like being really grounded in purpose and being really focused on what is the higher meaning to all of this. And I think, um, you know, like one of my favorite quotes is from Nietzsche and it's he who has a why can bear any how. And yeah. I'm like, I, like, I really love that. And I think that like I was sort of saying before, my, my being an athlete is about more than just winning for me. It's about more than just 
making the CrossFit Games or, or, you know, doing really well in a competition. For me, it is something that I can do to prove all of the shit in my head wrong to an extent. Like it's putting myself out there and doing something that I really care about in a way that opens myself up for judgment from anyone that has an interest in the sport. There are, there are stakes every time I take the competition floor, whether they're just in my own head on the pressure that I put on myself or from sponsors and from outside perspectives as well. And every time I'm able to compete, whether I win or lose and I put myself through that, like there is growth there. And in that growth, there is, there is things that I, when I do eventually opening my, open my own counseling and psych, uh, psychology clinic, I'll be able to then pass on to other people that are having to maybe put themselves out or having to maybe be vulnerable in their own ways. And to me, that is the greater sense of purpose behind what I do. And so when I do feel, let's say I'm feeling lacking in motivation and I don't have the luxury of just not bringing it, like it's a competition or a qualifier or something like that. I'll always tap into that. Um, Like I'll always spend a bit of time really thinking about why I'm doing what I'm doing and, and then go from there. And I mean like the physical discomfort for me, like I have a lot of my own weird little like OCD and anxious uh, things that make me feel very physically uncomfortable all the time or a lot of the time. Yeah. So I'm kind of used to that. Uh, Like I'm used to, like I, I just, like I don't mind physical discomfort, particularly not physical discomfort that comes with, you know, the potential to grow and do something that I'm enjoying. So I, I, I find that, yeah, like a lot of it is just the mental game for me rather than simply go, oh, I just have to get better at pushing past it. So that's one thing, like anchoring myself in purpose. Another is, um, so like I work with a really great sports psychologist, actually, or he's, he's just, just a general psychologist, but we do a lot of performance-based stuff. And he has four key areas of... Um, performance that we kind of work on from a mental aspect and that's confidence so confidence isn't just like going oh you know i'm I'm king shit and all that sort of stuff confidence is trusting that you've done enough and that comes down to have you prepared well enough and i think at deep down inside if you can walk into a competition knowing that you're adequately prepared for it you have a huge leg up on that as well uh confidence focus so focus is another really big one and particularly for someone like me whose mind is always going a million miles an hour focus is something that I have to um, really knuckle down on and dial in. And some of the big things that help me with focusing on my workouts or focusing in a competition is environmental stuff. So controlling the environment, uh, putting my phone away when I go in there. Luckily, we can control the music from a gym phone. So if I leave my phone at the front desk, I know guaranteed I'm going to have a better session than if I have it on me. Um, it's trying to switching locations. So making, you know, training at home, like you said, I definitely do not train as well at home as if I do at the gym. And if I am going to try and train at home, I have to do something that breaks me away from whatever I was doing prior to it and then gets me into the actually actual training mode. So that kind of like separation of spaces and knowing that when I'm in this space, that's what I'm here to work out that allows me to dial in and focus on it again not spending too long doing any one thing. So they talk about how concentration kind of peaks at around the 50 minute mark of any activity. And then maybe you can carry over to about 50 to 90 minutes. They reckon according to various different studies, we'll put where, how long you can concentrate on something at various points from 50 to 90 minutes. And so that's where I find that that's kind of my sweet spot. And it also means that when I'm in the gym, if I know that I don't have to be there for hours on end, I can put everything else on hold for a little moment while I'm in there. Um, confidence, focus, 
Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other two. That's <laughs> <laughs> think That's all right. If they come to you later, or if you can remember them, talk through, talk through them now. Yeah, what the hell was it? Confidence, focus. Um, they're the two that we've probably spent the most time on, maybe? I, I can't even they're, remember the they're, other they're, two. They're two. That was amazing, amazing points there, which hopefully people will write some notes on those, what you just said. It was, it was great. So, um, have it, well, maybe we'll just continue on. If they come to your head, we can we can dovetail it in shortly. Yeah, no stress. Um, in, that, in that whole, um, I guess, space of, of psychology, et cetera, you're actually stu- studying a degree in psychology, aren't you? Yep, doing a degree, a bachelor's degree in psychology and a diploma in counselling. So, funnily enough, last year when I made the decision to really switch my focus to being an athlete full-time, I finished off, I've been doing the bachelor's degree part-time by correspondence and I actually decided to take the semester off at the start of this year. Um, I've still been doing the diploma of counselling because that's a self-paced course. So rather than being kind of like, and I just chip away at that when I can, um, I actually only have about three, maybe four months left of the diploma, which will be cool because then I'll be able to actually uh, register and practice as a counsellor, which will be which will be great. I really yeah. look forward to that. But Amazing. then with the degree, yeah, I, I put it on hold at the start of this year thinking I've got all this kind of travel and focus on competition that was coming up and I really want to just be completely solely focused on that. And then looking back, it would have been the perfect time to knock out um, a few extra subjects. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely plan to finish that. I don't, yeah, I don't know whether I'll go back to full-time or stay with part-time, but I think my focus at the moment is on finishing the counselling component of the course just because that will then allow me to actually practice in the industry and then at the same time just keep chipping away at the degree. Yeah, awesome. And um, you're a big advocate of mental health, of men's mental health and, including you know you're ambassador for certain charities like are you okay in, in australia and can you talk a little bit about your journey on the on the mental health side as well yeah mate i mean it's a very broad question but i'll uh i definitely it is something that i'm extremely passionate about and it's something that i'm passionate about because obviously i have a vested interest in it you know i uh quite openly speak about suffering from um fairly severe anxiety disorders uh both both generalized anxiety disorder social anxiety and ocd um you know, I've, I've had an on and I have an ongoing journey with mental health myself. And uh, a big part of what I'm passionate about is that for men, particularly, it's not something that's widely spoken about. And if it is, it's always spoken about somewhat at arm's length. You know, a lot of guys will acknowledge that mental health is important, but not many choose to dive into the nitty gritty of their own uh, struggles necessarily. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a platform to do that. And through partnerships I've got with various charities uh to be able to kind of yeah yeah uh you you know occupy that space and it's it's what i'm passionate about it's why i'm studying and i just think that like it sounds stupid and i'll like it's it's a tricky space for men and it's a tricky place for people to speak about and something that i always found really difficult when i started to kind of get into trying to look after my mental health was the relatability to the people that I was speaking to. You know, um, I'm very lucky that in many ways I probably tick boxes for those kind of old school, uh, like masculine traits. You know, I'm a professional athlete. I'm very lucky that I've done that, but at the same time, so there'll be a lot of young guys that maybe would, would, would be more open to speaking about that at the same time, you know, and (laughs) 
I'm also plenty of times where I've just been in a piss rack, you know, like I've, I've, I've got lived experience that I know there will be young men out there that can relate to. And like, I know how tricky it can be for blokes to speak out about mental health for fear of judgment and all sorts of things. And for fear of like that vulnerability being weakness. And I really think that there needs to be more people in the mental health space, more men in the mental health space that try to break down that stigma by showing their own vulnerability and by being super open about it. And, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about and I'm really, um, I really try to speak about very, uh, what's the word? Very kind of just like openly and frankly. And I, I don't like to speak about it as if it's something that, you know, it, it is difficult for me, but everyone has difficulty in their life. But um, it's more about just trying to educate people and creating conversations that aren't either like, oh, my God, you know, that poor guy or at the same time, oh, my God, that's such a kind of like different and weird thing or anything like that. Like, I just want to normalize mental health for, for men to speak about in the same way that we speak. You know, you go to a gym, you talk about it. People go and they do the turf games on the weekend. They're going to post about it. They're going to talk about how great it was and how much they loved it. That's your physical health. Why are we not having conversations of the same nature about mental health? Yeah. Someone yeah. hurts their arm and they can't train. They're going to tell people, oh, my arm hurts. I can't train. If someone's having a really, like, you know, someone had a panic attack or someone's having a, a really bad episode of anxiety or depression, they should be able to just talk about it and, and be open about it. And I think that education, you know, providing people with someone else, you know, someone to say that is speaking out and they can speak out at the same time and that kind of relatability is awesome. But then educating people that maybe just don't know what mental health is or have never experienced it themselves or in other people because chances are they're going to have people around them that do go through something at some point in time in their life and having the tools at their disposal to recognize that and tend to be able to have, you know, good conversations. Like I think it's so important and it's something that I'm super passionate about. Yeah, it is. It is. I guess being able or being confident to um, know you can talk about it is half the battle. But then the other, the other flip side is that you know when when one of your mates does want to talk to you about it, it's actually knowing what, do, how do you deal with it? What do you say? Because you don't want to say this, say the wrong thing. Or how do you, yeah. from a male point of view, how do you show that kind of empathy and compassion when you, you know, we aren't always programmed to be massively sympathetic. No, not, I, I hard, mean it's. <laughs> It's yeah, exactly. It's really hard for blokes because blokes. I mean, I was reading, actually reading a book today um, that I've just started called "The Masks of Masculinity" by Lewis Howes, and he's talking about. He was talking about kind of your textbook masculine traits, and there's something that I was thinking about a lot recently. Is like, what does society expect from men? What does society want a man to be? How? What is a man supposed to be like? And one of those traits that he even he outlined it perfectly, and it's so true: is men should be able to fix any problem. Right, we're fixers. And we're expected to be fixers. You're very, you know, if you come to a bloke with a problem, the natural instinct and what we're kind of, whether it's subconscious or unconsciously conditioned or consciously conditioned to do is to try and fix and solve that problem. And that's just not always the best approach when dealing with mental health. And even some of my closest friends who I love dearly and who would want nothing more than to support me and help me when I am going through, say, a mental health issue it's hard to speak to the male. It's hard to speak to them because I know that they're going to try and problem solve. And nine times out of 10, when someone, particularly someone that's going through like an anxious period, like you're just thinking all the time, you've probably thought of every single possible solution that anyone could come up and tell you with. 
and the best or like when someone reaches out to speak nine times out of 10, they just want to get it off their chest yeah. or when they speak out, they're not looking for a solution or most people don't have the tools at their disposal to disposal to actually help in that situation over and above just holding space, being a shoulder to, to cry on, so to speak, or to listen and to try and just empathize without fixing. And it's something that's really hard. As I said, for blokes to do, it's hard for myself to do as well. Still, when someone comes to me with a problem, like I want to, all right, where does this problem stem from and how can we solve it? And it's, it, it can be helpful in time to do that, but typically it's not the best thing to do immediately after someone presents with a problem. And that's, uh, that's a big one for guys. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the, the, the um, identifying the problem and then looking at ways to solve it. And sometimes it may not be you the best person to solve that problem, but pointing people in the right direction. Um, yeah. And just knowing, knowing where to look, I guess. And I think we've come a long way in the past few years with, you know, we talk about it, but like it does come down to action, actually doing something about it, not just knowing mm. it exists and and um, yeah. taking, I guess, the, the the step in the right direction. Um, everyone, I guess, needs to know, know about it and know how to, know how to deal with it eventually, because um, it does yeah. it does affect I mean, us more than we probably know. Oh, exactly. And I mean, one of the key things we even learn uh, when I've been studying, particularly in the counselling process, is the best counselors and the best therapists out there they don't fix problems for people they empower people to fix the problems themselves yeah right and that's a really when i first read that it was kind of like a bit confronting i was like isn't uh, aren't i studying this to to have the answers to fix people's problems but the more you kind of learn about it you, you learn the tools of the trade so to speak like it's so important to be empower to empower other people to solve their own problems because guess what? Though they might come to you, you'd want to hope that someone would be able to come to people to come to to come to you in any given situation. If they can't for whatever reason, or they feel like they can't, they need to feel like they can then help themselves when they need to too. Now, huge advocate are having an issue going and speaking to someone and being vulnerable with people around you because chances are that they're going to be the people, they're going to be your lifelines throughout your entire life. Um, but yeah, like learning to, to sit with those kind of, to, to empower each other to kind of deal with those problems as well. And to just sit with being uncomfortable in conversation. Like if someone says they're not doing well, it's kind of like it's confronting for someone to hear. So the natural reaction is to try and fix that person's problem because it's actually fixing your own problem too. You then don't have to listen to them being really vulnerable, which is possibly uncomfortable for you as well because you feel like, oh, this is weird. Like they're being vulnerable to me. Oh, let's just fix the problem and then everything can just go back to normal. But yeah, we've come a long way. We absolutely have. But I think we're still getting started, particularly blokes when it comes to having these conversations. Yeah, definitely. And um Long way to go, but um, yeah, I think we can. We'll get there, and it's definitely going in the right direction. So, um, right, so what I might, um, we've talked about quite a quite a bit. Some really amazing topics there. What I might do, um, I was actually going to do this at the start. We kind of we jump straight into the conversation, but just run through a few quick fire questions. Um, yes, normally like uh, sets up a bit of a, a bit of banter for the start of the uh, the podcast, but we'll do it at the end, which will end on a a good note. But um, I'll run through. I'll run, All right. I'll run through away. these, and if you just give me, I guess, your answer, um, guess as, as quickly or, or succinctly as you like. Um, all right, what's your top Sydney beach? Uh, Bronte if I'm surfing or Clavelli if I'm not. One, one thing you have done in lockdown you thought you would never do? 
Um, one thing I've done in lockdown that I thought I would never do. Jeez. Set up a TikTok account. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, 100%. I can't fucking stop. There you go. <laughs> TikTok. Absolutely. Um, would you rather do 20 muscle-ups or 20 handstand push-ups? Handstand push-ups. What's one non-negotiable on a long-haul flight? Uh, sleeping pills. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, if you were a superhero, who would you be? Oh, I hate Superman, but his powers are pretty damn good. So I'd have to say him. Not because I think he's cool, but he's he got great powers. great powers. I think being able to fly is probably almost, yeah, you can't rival that really. Yeah, I mean, you can fly. You can't really die except from kryptonite. I've never met anyone that has kryptonite as well. <laughs> so basically, let's call me invincible yeah. if I'm Superman. But yeah, he's a bit of a dweeb compared to some of the other cool yeah. Supermans, superheroes. Yeah. But I'll, I'll take okay. his powers. Um, one thing you started in lockdown that you'll think you'll continue, and don't say TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> One thing started in lockdown that I think I'm that I think I'll continue uh, writing okay, a book. Excellent. Um, if you're in the middle seat on a flight from Sydney to London, say you're in you're, you're in economy here, oh, who shit. would you want either side of you? So the, uh, who would I want either side of me in the middle seat? Uh, let's put Jem, my partner, in the aisle seat because she's tiny and I could climb over her and I need to anxious pee about 47 times yeah. on the flight. Uh, and then, I don't know who on the other side, maybe my best mate, Byron, who lives in New York because I don't get to catch up with him and would be able to have her, you know, we'd probably talk from start to finish okay. on that flight. Very good. Um, what's, what's a Netflix series you've watched or are watching at the moment that you like? That you'd recommend? Oh, what am I watching at the moment that I recommend? Um, Netflix. Oh, Amazon or any. Uh, we're any watching Arrow. Oh, so I've watched so many good series recently. Um, we watched The Outsider recently. Really enjoyed okay. that. It was on Foxtel now. I don't know what it would be on internationally. On Netflix, though, um, we're currently making our way through all of the Arrow series. Oh, wow. and really enjoying that. But the uh, new series of The Sinner just came out, so I'll probably dive into that yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, well, I haven't watched it, I've seen it, seen it advertised. I might check that one out as well. Oh, dude, there's three. They're kind of like separate stories, but um, same kind of main detective guy, and they're really, really good. So I'll probably jump we into that. We just dove into uh, Money Heist last night, which is quite interesting. We're, I think, two episodes in. Oh, it is, is it good? Actually, yeah. Um, yeah, so far, we think two episodes is, I'm not sure how many there are, but yeah, it's really interesting. I like it. Um, it's Oh, nice. Actually, um, another one that I finished binged very quickly was The Last Kingdom, all four seasons. Fuck, I got okay. through that quick. I haven't, I haven't seen that one. Is that... But I've heard good things about Money is Heist. Last Kingdom, like one of those kind of knight in shining armor type ones. <clears throat> yeah, so it's kind of like set around the time of the Vikings, but almost like in England instead. And I really liked Vikings, the series as well. So set around that same time period, but it's in England instead of in uh, like with the Vikings. Yeah. So yeah, I, I frothed on it pretty hard. Very good. Well, um, mate, it's been great chatting. Um, and uh, anyone who wants to follow you, I'm sure a lot of our audience already do. Um, you can't Porter on Instagram. Is that is it just can't Porter? I, I am, am Khan Porter. Porter. Excellent. And then one. Yeah, that's who Very I am. Good. You know, if you want to train, hang out, drop me a message on the Instagram and we'll find somewhere to catch up and Very train. Good. And um, yeah, mate, we're hoping we can catch up either some point later this year or early in the new year. And looking forward to see how the next few months unfolds in the functional fitness space. It's going to be, I think, very, uh, very interesting. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, all I'll say is hold on to your hats because I think it's about to get yeah, very interesting. I can't wait to see everything unfold. But um, yeah, mate, great, great chatting and um, enjoy the, I guess, the rest of what Australia has a lockdown before it gets back to fully normal and um, we'll uh, catch up soon. Yes, sir. Looking awesome. forward to Thanks, it. Thanks, Khan. See you, mate. See you, buddy.